My wife Corey and I celebrate our anniversary in the month of December. And so this year we have been celebrating for several weeks. Is that me? Am I doing that? We've been celebrating for several weeks. Um, We took a trip, had a lot of fun doing that. And yesterday we got to kind of relive. She had planned out a day where we got to go back and just kind of experience some really cool moments in our story. Corey and I met when we were 13 years old at a summer youth camp, a church camp. So kids, if you want to meet your spouse, go to church camp next summer when we start advertising that. But um, we were 13, we met, became friends, and stayed friends till now and forevermore. Amen. So when we were 16, we dated for just a couple of months. Other than that, it was we were just friends for almost the entire period until we, we dated before we eventually got engaged and married. And so when we were 16, we dated for just a short period of time, and we were both on a trip together. We had gone to this, this conference, and she was staying in the hotel room of, of like her grandparents, and I was staying in the hotel room with my parents, and we had some friends there, and it was great. And, and when you're 16 and you, you haven't kissed your girlfriend yet, I did what any 16-year-old would do. I told my friends, tonight's the night. I'm going to do it. I'm going to kiss her. So we went out to dinner and we had fun and we did all kinds of things in a big group. And I walked her back to her room at the end of the night. I'm thinking, you know, I'm sweaty, palms, I'm nervous, butterflies, I'm about to throw up. I mean, I'm thinking, tonight's the night. I'm going to do this. We get to her door and I just kind of hem hawed around. I was talking about the weather or something. I don't know, just something not to have to leave her door. And finally, I did something that I thought was pretty smooth. I think I'd probably seen it on some Hallmark movie my mom was watching or something, but I thought it was pretty smooth. Instead of just leaning in to kiss her, I asked her if I could kiss her. Right? I just said, I mean, I was just like, this is the moment. Here we go. I'm going to capitalize right here. This is the moment. I said, can I kiss you? I mean, even now, it it feels a little awkward to even reenact that. (laughs) Even if there were no one in the room right now, I think I would feel. It didn't come out like it played out in my head. It kind of came out like this. Can I kiss you? It was a little, little aggressive, if you will. And so she's laughing at me. So we had our first kiss. And let me just say, it was awful. I mean, it was pretty terrible. Okay. And by that, I'm being very generous. It was awful. Now, at that point, I, I, I went and did what any, again, red-blooded American boy would do. I went to my friend's room and I said, man, she is a terrible kisser. Because <laughs> at that point, I mean, my customer satisfaction rating was pretty high. I mean, I hadn't really had any complaints at that point, And No, it was all me, all right? It was, I was so nervous, and, and I, I don't even know what happened. I mean, like, I was, I was nervous. But there was this expectation about this first kiss. I mean, we had been friends now for a couple of years, and there was this expectation, and it just did not get met, right? And, and, and so then, you know, we, we didn't date. I don't know if it was related to the kiss or not, but eventually she broke my heart. And so then we stayed friends, and I'm just kidding. We stayed friends, and we were friends for five, six, seven more years, I guess it was. And, and then when we were in college, we, um, we began dating again. After we dated very, very short period of time, man, I knew she was the one, and, and I, I got a ring, and we got engaged, and a while later, we got married, and, and we went on our honeymoon. First night, we stayed in the, the city where we were at, and the second night, we drove to Atlanta to the next morning catch a flight out of the Atlanta airport. 
And we were so tired from the wedding and all the festivities. And, and, and so we had traveled to Atlanta. And the plan was we would get to Atlanta. We'd stop at the hotel. We would change clothes. We would go to the melting pot for a really nice dinner. Come back to the hotel the next morning, catch the flight. We get to the hotel and we are both so tired. So we kind of laid down on the bed and, and Corey fell asleep. And, and she slept for a while. And there came a point where I just had to cancel the reservation at the melting pot, right? Cancel the reservation. I couldn't wake her up. I mean, she was really tired. So I'm hungry because, I mean, I've been expecting dinner. So I just called room service. I said, hey, I'll take some chicken fingers and fries. And they're like, that'll be $9,000. I'm like, all right, just send it up to the room. <laughs> so they do. They send that up to the room. And, and I start eating chicken fingers and fries. And I sit down on the couch in the little sitting area right outside the little bedroom area of the room where we were staying and turn on a basketball game and start watching the game. And about 2.30 in the morning... Corey is kind of leaning over me, trying to wake me up. And she's like, what are you doing out here? I'm like, well, you fell asleep and I was hungry and I'm watching, I was watching the game. whatever." And so the second night of our honeymoon, she's sleeping in the room. I'm sleeping on the couch, eating chicken fingers, watching a basketball game. We have flash forwarded 35 years in our marriage <laughs> on the second night of our honeymoon, Right. I mean, there were some expectations about that event. And, and it was, you know, just that night, not how it played out in my head. Now, maybe that story is not your story. Maybe you have other expectations in life. Maybe you on your job said, hey, I, I'm supposed to get a raise. You're banking on that raise. I mean, it's all but been assured to you. You're going to get a raise come January 1. And in a couple of weeks, you find out, man, I didn't get the raise. They, they, they didn't give it to me. Maybe you, hey, I'm supposed to get, you know, a transfer to another department or I'm supposed to be promoted and and they end up giving that to somebody else. But now there is this expectation that gets unmet in your life because you expected something and it didn't happen. Maybe you got married. Maybe you're still married or maybe you're not. But you got married and you had a certain expectation about what married life would look like. And it didn't play out that way. I had some... People that, that Corey and I know a while back, they, they, they were trying to, to get pregnant and have a baby, and they eventually did. And, and they said to us after that period of time, they said, man, we, this is not what we thought. There were some expectations about parenthood, and it didn't play out like they thought. And I don't know what expectations you have in your life, but maybe there's some places in your life that you do have these expectations, and then something happens, and it doesn't meet that expectation, and now you're left with disappointment. And discouragement, now you're left with this uncertainty or this fear or this doubt or this anxiety. And so you don't really know how to move forward beyond this. It kind of shakes the foundation. You were banking on the money. You were banking on the promotion. Marriage was supposed to look like this. Kids were supposed to look like this. Something was supposed to happen. And it just didn't happen like you thought. But this is not a new thing. I mean, this is not like this just happens now in present culture, present society. It happened in Scripture. And I want us to look. Here in Isaiah chapter 9, this is the passage out of the Old Testament that we're going to look at today uh, to, to really kind of grab a piece of the Christmas story and, and, and jump into to, to what Jesus come to earth really looks like. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, this is what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now, there's a few words. If you can go back to the first slide, there's a few words that jumped out at me that don't really go together. And the first one is like the fifth word, child. And then a lot of the words that come after that. Government, peace in general, but prince of peace, everlasting father, wonderful counselor, mighty God. I mean, when I read about child, I don't think government, counselor, mighty, everlasting peace. I kind of think of, you know, incessant questioning Right. My wife and I, we have four kids. I think of questions and I think of, you know, some a little bit awkward. Sometimes I think of sweet and funny. I think of crying. I think of messy. Sometimes I think of, you know, like my son Branson will walk into a room and a Coke will spill across the way. Like, I don't know how he does it, but somehow he walks in and something spills. Like, I don't think like Prince of Peace, King. I, I don't think those things when I think child. And so when I read through this passage, there are some things that I'm left wondering a little bit about. And we're going to see that maybe some other people were wondering about those same things. But look at this back in in, in this. And and you can kind of scroll along with me, Justin. This is what it says. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, I know when I read that, I don't think child becoming government. I think some of the people in government are children. But that's just my own personal thing there. No amens. Okay, I was expecting one or two, but that's all right. The government shall be upon his shoulder, says Prince of Peace, the increase of his government, the throne of David over his kingdom. And so what you have here is you have a prophecy in the book of Isaiah by the prophet Isaiah given to the Israelites, given to the Jews. And so they have this prophecy. They have this this piece of of, of text and and really some some oral stories that were given to them at first. And so they're holding on to these things, waiting on the Messiah to come. Waiting on the promise, the fulfillment of this to come, right? But they're looking for, as they're under the oppression of Rome, they're looking for this government figure. They're looking for this king, this wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, somebody on the throne of David to establish government and establish peace because they're not in a position of peace at that point. They're being kind of uh, they're they're being oppressed by uh, Rome and and the the leaders there and the, the armies there. And so they're looking for someone who's going to change this scenario in their life. And so many of the Jewish people in the Gospels. When you see, I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but I remember as I was reading through the Gospels, maybe the first couple times where I was actually sincerely like seeking what is the story here? Not just I'm in church listening to whatever the guy on the stage says, but like when I was reading for myself for some of the first few times, I was reading through these passages and I was like, why are they so mad at Jesus? Like, I don't understand. Like, why are they so mad at him? What did he do? Like, okay, so he healed some people on the wrong day. That's enough to want to kill him. Like he's teaching things. I, I mean, I can't understand why they're so mad. At him. But the problem was that the, some of the Jewish leaders, the people that eventually would help put him to death, they didn't see him as the Messiah. They didn't see him as the son of God. Even though when you and I read the Bible, we, we kind of see the end of the story all the way back through it. So as we're reading any scenario in that story, we're seeing it through the lens of we know he goes to the cross and he's raised from the dead. We know that he ascends back to the father. And so we have that context. They didn't have that. And what they were looking for when they looked to Jesus is they were looking for the ruler. 
They were looking for the literal king who was going to come and rule on earth and overthrow Rome and set up his kingdom here on earth. And let's look at a scene from the end of his life here on earth in John chapter 18. Let's look at a scene here where he is about to go to the cross and let's see how this plays out. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, why would they call him that? Because they're asking, he's claiming to be the son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king of the Jews. They're asking, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say this to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. So stop right here. The people that Pilate is saying delivered Jesus to him are the people who were looking for Jesus to be the ruler, Messiah, king, to to establish governments on his shoulders, but he wasn't doing that. And so they're saying, hey, you're the false Messiah because you're claiming some things that don't match up with what Isaiah said. Isaiah set this up of what you would do and how you would do it, and you're claiming these things that you are that person, but you're not doing that. Like, rise up the army. And here's, here's what Jesus said in verse 36. He says, what have you done? The end verse 35. And Jesus answered in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world, not from this world. So Jesus is saying, listen, I am the fulfillment of that. And the government is on my shoulders, but it's not like you think it is. You have this certain expectation about how this is going to look in my life and in in your world. And that's not what it is. Jesus, at the end of his life, this is not going to be on the screen in Matthew 28 and 18, right before the, the, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, where he gives them the commission by which to go out and to live and do ministry after he's gone. This is what he starts with in Matthew 28, 18. He's trying to help again at the end of his life answer or after the end of his life, he's already gone to the cross, answer what their, their misconceptions are about him. And Jesus said to them in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's saying, listen, I, I am the guy you were looking for. I, I am the guy that you were looking. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, he has a lot more credibility to say that now because they put him to death. Like there was... A, a, a court system of some kind, even though somewhat was a sham in certain respects, there was some judicial process which played him out to be guilty. And they sentenced him to death. And, and, and he died. And then he was raised from the dead. And so what he's saying is, even the process by which you found me guilty, I have more authority than that. Even the death that you put on me on the cross, I have more authority than that. So even though it didn't match your specific expectations, I am who I said that I am. I am the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy. And so Jesus, Jesus has walked around. He's done ministry. He, he's done teachings. He's healed the sick. And that's, that's another piece of the puzzle as we look at our expectations. I don't know if you're like me at all. One of the big hangups for people, one of the big hangups for people that are They're trying to figure out if they believe in Jesus and that Jesus is who he said he is or if God's real or what God is or who God is, is is two things. Evil, evil in the world, and sickness. People that get sick. And I don't don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I even see and, and hear people talk about the people that Jesus encountered that were sick and he didn't heal them as if that shows that he is not who he claimed to be. I can relate to this. My mom passed away from cancer. Um, this will be our second Christmas without her. She passed away in March of 2010. 
And we prayed thousands and thousands and thousands of prayers. Somebody that we didn't even know at the time, we do now. They started this Facebook group called Prayer for Kathy. And man, there were, there were literally like five or 6,000 people a part of this group that were committing to pray for her like every day. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And for 22 months, she would go to the doctor and she'd get a good report. And then she'd go back a few months later and she'd get a bad report. And then she'd go to the doctor and she'd get a worse report. And then she'd go to the doctor and she'd get a good report. And, and man, we were like, man, uh, God, we're ready for you. I mean, I remember sitting in the hospital this the last couple of weeks of her life and the doctors were kind of filling us in on where we were at. And he really gave us like no hope at all. And I prayed this prayer. Maybe this was a really naive and immature prayer. But I left the little meeting area where he had met with me and my dad. And I walked around the corner and I was in this like hallway where they were doing some construction on this whole wing of the hospital. So nobody was ever down there. And I used to sneak down there and pray and talk and talk on the phone and all kinds of stuff. And so I kind of snuck down this hallway and I was I was there kind of by this glass window overlooking a roof. There was nothing there. And I was standing there by that glass and I, I prayed this prayer. All right, God. It's like the deck is stacked in your favor here. I mean, if, if you're going to show up, now is the time to do it because the doctors have said they can't do anything else. Like, there's no hope on, on, on this side of, of heaven. Like, if you're going to do it, we believe it. We're praying it. We're believing for healing. If you're going to do it, now's the time. Go ahead and show up. You're going to get all the glory out of this because the doctors have no more answers. And about 15 days later, she passed away. And I was left to wonder and to question and to think, okay, God, why and how? And what does this say about you? And what does it say about prayer? And, and I started looking at the stories of the Gospels about people that were sick, people that Jesus healed. And as I was looking at that, a man that I really respect, a really wise man, asked me a question that kind of changed my entire view of this entire conversation. This is what he said. He said, have you ever thought about what happened to every person that Jesus ever healed. I said, no, what? He said, they eventually died of something else. Every person that Jesus ever healed in the Gospels eventually died from something else. Like if he healed them from being blind or he healed them for having leprosy, they eventually died of old age or something. Why? Because Jesus' healing in a moment of an individual was not about that individual. It wasn't for them to live eternally on earth. It was about the power of God to be demonstrated in that moment to prove who God was and who Jesus was here on earth. And as I started thinking about that, I was reminded of, of a story in John. It's not going to be up on the, on the screens. But Jesus is walking around. He's doing ministry. He's, he's doing this incredible teaching. This is kind of early in his ministry. And he walks up to this pool. It's called the Pool of Bethesda. And there are sick people everywhere, right? Sick people everywhere. They're ill, they're, they're, Ill, they're, they're, they're limp, they're diseased, they're, they're disabled in some form or fashion, and they're laying there beside the pool, and here's what would happen. They, they believed that an angel would come down and trimmer the water, and the first one in the water after it happened would be healed, but there was this man who couldn't walk. And so Jesus is walking through, and, and this is how I picture it. Maybe this is incorrect, but I picture almost Jesus walking over, kind of stepping around and over all the sick people to get to this guy to have a conversation. And he says, hey, what, what are you doing? This is Jeremy's paraphrase here. What are you doing? And he says, I don't have anybody to help me get in the water. And Jesus says, well, do you want to be well? He says, yeah. He says, well, take up your mat and walk. 
And the guy takes up his mat. Again, this is, this is me envisioning this in my head. Maybe it's not true. But I picture this guy picking up his mat and Jesus doing it as well, kind of walking as well. And they're walking by all these other sick people that Jesus didn't heal. You ever thought about that? Like he walks up to a crowd of people. Everybody's sick. He says, you're healed and walks off. Why? We have this expectation that if Jesus has the power to heal, that he would heal everybody that's ever been sick. And so when someone that we love, someone that we know is not healed. We think, man, that's an unmet expectation. So you must not be who you say you are, God. You must not be who you say you are, because if you really had the power. You'd have done something. It's questions like that that have been asked in the aftermath of the Sandy Hook, Connecticut story. I don't claim to have any answers today. We talked last week about the story of Lazarus that the scripture said that Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And when he heard the news, the very next verse after he loved them was that even though he heard what was going on, he waited two more days. I don't know why. If he had the power to heal the sick, I don't know why he didn't rush to someone he loved and heal them right then. I don't know why. Other than he would show up a couple of days later and do an even greater miracle. And raise someone from the dead. I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm not sure in your story and in your context what expectations about life and about God and about marriage and about family and about money and about church and religion. I don't know what expectations you have and I don't know how many of them have been unmet. But here's what I see in the story of Isaiah chapter 9. That sometimes my expectations about the way that something's going to happen in the economy of God will trap me. To miss the fulfillment of what God is actually doing. That as I am looking for this ruler who will come and sit on a literal throne to rule over Israel, to overthrow Rome, my expectations are that. And instead, on a night divine, God sends a little baby in a manger to a virgin and her husband. Because there was no room in the inn. You want to talk about governments being on his shoulders? You want to talk about a king on the throne of David? There was not even a bed for them to sleep in. And the way that you and I, if we had the context of Isaiah 9 in that present day, in the day of Jesus' birth, if we had that context, we're looking for the ruler to show up and instead God sent a baby. And most of us have heard this story so many times that we're almost jaded to that reality. Like we miss the importance of what they were looking for and what God actually sent. But in your life and in mine, we know what our expectations are. We know what we're looking for, for the fulfillment of what it is that God said he's going to do, promised he's going to do, what we've been praying that he would do. And so we know what we're looking for. God, I'm looking for more money. And I know that that means more income from a raise at my job or a new job altogether. And it could be, and, and I'm not preaching at you for this. This is just what, where it came from. It could be that instead of income being different, it could be that your expenses are different. Right? Could be better stewardship principles in your life. The way that you spend money is what frees up money in your budget. Right? 
It could be that you were looking for your marriage to get better by them not nagging you as much. And it could be that what God was really trying to do was change you and your heart. Right? It could be that I was looking for the new job. And what God wanted me to do was stay in my present job and change the job description. And help create margin for the job that I'd been asked to do. I've got this expectation about what that's going to look like. And it could be that it comes out a little differently in my life. Some of you have heard this story. It says a man is sitting on his porch as floodwaters rise. And a woman floats by in a boat and asks if the man needs help. No, thank you, says the man. I'm trusting in the Lord. The waters rise higher, sending the man upstairs. And a raft full of people float by his second story window. Get in, they said. There's plenty of room. He said, no thanks, says the man. I'm trusting the Lord. Flood waters keep rising, pushing the man up to the roof, and a helicopter swoops in, lowering its ladder for the man. Thanks anyway, shouts the man. I'm trusting in the Lord. Finally, the man is swept away in the torrent and drowns. And at the gates of heaven, the man asks God, why didn't you save me? What do you mean, replies God? I sent two boats and a helicopter. What were you waiting on? Right? We want God to do this supernatural swoop in and save the day. And the reality of our lives is that the boat is right there. The answer is right in front of us. But we're focusing on such a specific idea of what fulfillment of this promise means. Instead of focusing on the one who sends the fulfillment. Right? We're speaking, just kind of focusing our eyes on this specific set of this is how God works and this is what God's going to do and this is the only way that he'll answer that prayer in my life and instead the answer is right there and we're missing it because we're only looking for this. We only think it can be this way. Now don't hear what I'm not saying, double negative, okay? Some people just had a heart attack. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that sometimes God promises a specific thing and he's going to answer it that specific way. I believe that. But I also believe that sometimes we get so focused on the way we think it's going to play out. That we miss the reality of the blessings and the promises and the fulfillment of God. Because it doesn't meet our expectations. It doesn't meet our expectations. I want Justin to come. And so we're left kind of wandering around in life. Trying to figure out how to live and be and do all that we're supposed to do in this life and pursue God and follow God and God to do all the things that he said he's going to do. And, and yet we're missing some very specific fulfillment of the promises. Because we're not open to what it may look like. You know, the, the Israelites of that day, the Jews had been told he's coming. The Messiah is coming. Don't miss him. According to Isaiah 9, he's coming as a baby. You'll know it's him because he'll be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah chapter 5. He'll be born to a virgin, according to Isaiah 7. But many missed him because they were looking for an earthly king who would sit on a literal throne. Because that was the answer to their present problems. last story. I've told a lot today. I heard this story of a woman who had never met her birth father. 
She never met her father and, and she didn't ever get the opportunity to meet him and she never had a father figure in her life. And as she was growing up, she decided, hey, I'm going to pray for some type of fatherly influence or fatherly expression in my life. She prayed it every single day. God, I want you to send me a father figure in my life, someone who can pour into me and love me and affirm me and show me what I've been missing all of my life. And she just prayed that and believed that and hoped for that. And eventually she met a man and they were to be married and she thought, okay, this may not be the perfect picture, but maybe I'm going to see that in the way that he treats me. Maybe God's not just sending me a father, maybe he's sending me a husband and that's what I'm going to see that. That's how I'm going to learn and, and, and be kind of fulfilled in all these things. First few years of marriage, that was not the case at all. She still had this piece of longing in her heart and this emptiness that she just could not shake. Eventually she got pregnant. She had a little girl. She brought that little girl home. And over the first few days and weeks and months, she watched as her husband began to be this father to her daughter. And it wasn't the perfect scenario, but for her, she said, that what she got while she was looking for some man, while she was looking for some father figure for her, is she got a baby. And in that baby, she got to witness the fulfillment of everything she'd ever longed for. Guess what? You may have a great father. You may have no father. But for sure, there has been a baby sent to earth for you. And no matter what your expectations are or have been, no matter what it is that you've been looking for that God was going to do in your life, or maybe you haven't even been looking to God, but you've been looking to the things of this world to try to be the answer and the meeting of those expectations in your life, guess what? God sent a baby on a holy night divine. And that baby grew up to be the savior of all mankind. And he says to us, come to me and I'll give you rest. He's the fulfillment of being the prince of peace. He establishes with all authority on heaven and earth, all the things that are required for this earth. He extends to us love and forgiveness from the cross. He gives to us grace and mercy for our mistakes that we do not deserve. And yet he gives them. And I don't know what it is you're looking for. But this 23rd of December, two days before we celebrate Christmas and open a bunch of presents and eat way more food than is healthy. I believe I came today to tell you that you need to be careful. Not to miss what God is sending your way because it doesn't look exactly like you have it in your head. I'm not asking you to compromise yourself. I'm not asking you to give up on hopes and dreams that you've had all of your life. But I am saying, will you be open as you pursue the one who gives good gifts? Will you be open as you pursue the God that created the world? Will you be open enough to say, okay, God, it may not look exactly like I think. It may not be a literal king come to earth to sit on a literal throne. Maybe it looks like a baby. But as I look this Christmas season, I just want you and I want all that you have for me. And so would you let that be the reality in my life? Would you expand my mind? Would you open my mind? Would you open my heart to be receptive to whatever it is that you're sending my way to be the fulfillment of the promises that you've given to me? 
He sent a baby. And we celebrate that baby. And I hope that you're open to looking to the Father to say, how how might you be answering my prayers? How might you be fulfilling that promise? And here's the question I'm just kind of left with. For those of you that are here pretty regularly, I I usually land with a question because that's just, it promotes thought in my head. So this is the question I just leave with you today. Is there something that you're praying for or seeking from God that God has or is answering? But maybe you've missed it because you were looking for the answer in the wrong place. If you're comfortable, I just want you to Close your eyes and just bow your head right where you're at. Nobody's going to be looking around. Nobody's trying to point you out or make you the focus of anything in this room. This is just you in a quiet moment of just prayer and and, and focus on God. I want you just to search your heart. Search your life. Is there something going on in you? Have you been seeking something, looking for something, seeking an answer, seeking something from God? Maybe just a recent amount of time, a short amount of time. Maybe it's been something that's hung with you for years. And I want you just to pray maybe something like this if you're comfortable. Just say, God, is there something that I'm missing? Are you sending the answer my way, but I've been looking for it in the wrong place? I've been looking for it in this really confined, specific set of criteria, and maybe I've just missed the answer. If today you would say, you know, Jeremy, I, I've listened to what you're saying and, and I think I'm in that place. I'm, I'm in one of two categories in that place. I've been looking to the whole wrong person or thing or issue to s- solve my problems. I've been looking to the world. I've been looking to my own devices, my own strength, my own willpower to fix it. And I, I need to turn my focus and my attention back to God. And man, I've, I've made some mistakes. Maybe it's sins and specific acts of things that dishonor God. Or maybe it's just omission. You know, just the, the leaving God out of decisions and the guiding and leading of my life. And today, this 23rd of December, I'm, I'm committing my life back to God as Lord and Savior. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you. You can put it right back down. Thank you. You can put it right back down. Several hands. Maybe you say today, Jeremy, that, that's not me. I mean, that's not the specific prayer that I'm praying today, but you know, I've probably been looking in such a confined place for the answers from God that I may have missed it. And so today I want to just widen my perspective just to seek God first, not to seek his hands and the things that he can do in my life and a very specific skill set or specific thing that he may be sending to me. But I want to focus on God and any answer that he's sending my way. I don't want to miss it because I'm what I'm focused on. I want to focus on God with my life in this Christmas season. Would you just raise your hand and put him right back down? Lots of hands. Put him right back down. Thank you. God, we just we just pause here for a moment and we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who answers prayers. We thank you that you're a God that keeps your promises. We thank you that you're a God who loves his children. And so here just a couple days before Christmas, God, I just pray that you would help us to see you in all things. You created this world. It's yours. You rule and reign over this world. And you're sending 
answers to us. You're sending promises to us. You're sending blessing to us. And I'm afraid that we're missing it because we're looking for this literal king on a literal throne right now. And that comes later in the story. God, would you help us to focus on the baby that you did send? What that baby means to us and his life as your son on earth, Emmanuel, God with us. Help us, God, to pursue you, to model our lives after your son, Jesus Christ, to live in ways that honor you, to reorient our lives around the things that you do and you would have us to do. I thank you, God, for the people that lifted their hands today to say, hey, I need God in my life as Lord and Savior in some capacity. I'm all in. I, I need him. I've been looking to my own strength, my own mental ability. I've been looking to the world for answers, and I want to look to God. I thank you for those people today. Help them to find you as they seek you with all their heart. God, for those that raise their hand and say, hey, I just need to focus on God. I'm a believer. He's the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm committed there, but I I just need to focus on him. I don't need to be so confined in how I think he may answer the prayers, but I want to be open to how God would fulfill the promises in my life. Help them to just seek you, pursue you. And God, when we leave this place today, let every single one of us, myself included, as I attempt to live this out myself, just to see you in this Christmas season. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.